It's the end of the month, which means it's time for a media spotlight. God has ordained that the nuclear family be the foundational unit of society, not the individual. Each individual needs a mother and a father to come into existence. And obviously, whether or not the biological mother and biological father of each individual is actually properly involved in the raising of that individual is another question, another discussion entirely. But the truth remains that even in our incredibly disordered society, the need for a biological mother and biological father to create a new human life remains fundamentally necessary. Given its necessity, it is no wonder that the devil focuses his attack so heavily on attempting to dismantle it, since the very existence of every individual relies on the mechanics of the nuclear family to be made possible it is also true to say that by extension, every vocation is born within the nuclear family. The call to married life is the lower calling, yes, compared to the call to the priesthood or consecrated religious. And yet, God has made it so that the higher calling pays homage to the lower one. Every priest, every consecrated religious has the nuclear family to thank for his or her vocation for his or her very existence. And the lower calling is the more common calling. It is, in fact, the norm. I <laughs> am one of those Catholics who holds very firmly to the stance that there are only two vocations and that all are called to marriage, whether that is marriage to another human being or an espousal to God and to his church. I firmly believe that all human beings are called to a love which is ordered by vows, safeguarded by a God-given authority. I'm one of those Catholics who thoroughly rejects the idea that an individual would be called by God to decide for themselves how their love ought to be ordered towards him. I do not think that that is a scripturally supported stance. I don't think it's theologically supported. I think that um, that idea is a foolish, very selfish, and very dangerous idea. But that's me veering off into a tangent. That's not actually the subject matter of this month's end of the month spotlight. I'm sorry. I um, I started off talking about the nuclear family because, well... A few things. The nuclear family is under attack. I wanted to establish that. And there's a song um, by Switchfoot, The Shadow Proves the Sunshine. And as a teenager, I used to take issue with that song because I felt like it was trying to say that evil was necessary to prove good. I think now as an adult in retrospect, that was probably just some weird teen angst. Um, the shadow proves the sunshine. If you actually look at the lyrics, I think that it means something more along the lines of this. Taking the example of the nuclear family, the fact that the nuclear family is under such heavy attack proves how important the nuclear family is to God, proves to us how important the part which the nuclear family plays is to God's order. Why would the devil expend such energy trying to destroy something if it was so insignificant? And so my next thought is, why is the matter of spiritual warfare so underdeveloped 
in your typical pre-cana course. When two people get married, they are entering the front lines of the battle, again, because every individual and therefore every vocation passes through the nuclear family by ne absolute necessity. Married persons are frontliners in spiritual warfare. You would think that this being the case, that we would spend a ton of time in pre-cana talking about this, making sure we understand what we're getting ourselves into. And granted, you can't fully understand it, but but even just the mention of spiritual warfare is not something that I remember from pre-Cana. And, you know, I guess a case could be made that preparing a couple to do well together is preparing them for that spiritual battle. But I can't remember who said it now. Someone out there who is very wise in the name of whom I should most definitely remember and I'm blanking and I'm truly sorry. Um, this very wise person said something along the lines of that Satan's greatest success is convincing people that he doesn't exist. And while sure, it's absolutely true that we married persons will fight this battle by having excellent marriages, I think it's a disservice to young couples preparing for marriage to not speak strongly and clearly about the spiritual aspect of their upcoming battles. And indeed that to have an excellent marriage is to be aware of that battle. In day 118 of Father Mike Schmitz's Bible in a Year podcast, he comments that the spiritual is in some ways even more real than the physical. I want to chew on that a bit here and just share my thoughts on that statement. The physical reality can act like a mask if we choose to employ it so. Something can look beautiful on the outside, but be rotten at its core, right? And the reality of the spiritual, the reality of the interior life of the individual, the reality of the hidden, invisible soul of the person is who that person actually is, not the physical which can potentially mask the rotten soul. And so I think that what Father Mike means by more real is the inability to hide within the spiritual reality. In the spiritual realm, there is no facade. It's not possible to have one. Whereas the physical realm is a place where physical reality can be manipulated to hide the spiritual reality. I think it's very easy for married persons to get lost in the physical, and so to forget and therefore neglect the spiritual reality of their being. It's hard for us married persons to think of their being a spiritual dimension to the physical everyday business of changing diapers and changing the oil in the car and doing the budget and cleaning the toilet and finding it so easy to to be spiritually disconnected to our physical day in and day out is to the detriment of our marriages, to the detriment of our lives. Intentionality is what lends merit to a mundane action. Intentionality is what guarantees a mundane action's benefit to the soul. So much of the objective good that we do is wasted simply because we forget to be intentional about it. 
A few months ago, we shared this quote from St. Francis de Sales, quote, The state of marriage is one that requires more constancy and virtue than any other. It is a perpetual state of mortification, end quote. And that's not meant to be scary or off-putting, like you're always going to be miserable. It's actually meant to be encouraging that this is a path which can bring you to sainthood precisely because there is so much that has the potential to be offered to God as an acceptable sacrifice. I really, I wish that there was more in a standard pre-Cana course for couples regarding spiritual warfare. I mean, would you send a soldier into battle with an inferior weapon, knowing that one better suited to his task was actually available? Is it ever wise to send soldiers into battle without telling them what the stakes are? That's a question, one of the many questions, that's explored in Orson Scott Card's book Ender's Game. Is there a moral imperative to inform a soldier of the stakes prior to sending them into battle? This month's spotlight is on Father Ripperger's book, Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Laity. For those of you unfamiliar with Father Ripperger, he serves in the Archdiocese of Denver and he is an exorcist. He's given many presentations on the reality of spiritual warfare. And I want to read now from the introduction to this book, Deliverance Prayers. Quote, when we remain under the authority structure that God has established by the divine positive law, that is, the authority of the church, and the natural law, we remain protected. If the laity remain within the confines of the authority that God has given to them by natural law, such as commanding the demons to leave their own bodies or those over whom they have authority by the natural law, such as their children or wife, etc., then they will experience little to no retaliation as a general rule. This is also true in relation to rights which grant authority in relation to the object of the right. By this we mean that spouses, who by virtue of the marital contract, have rights over each other's bodies by virtue of the conceding of those rights to each other on the day of their marriage. For this reason, wives may command the demons to leave their husbands' bodies, and the husbands their wives' bodies. For the husband, it is a twofold authority, the one as head of the household and the other by virtue of the rights over his wife's body. End quote. In Carrie Gress's The Anti-Mary Exposed, which we spotlighted a few months back, if you actually read that book, then you will remember that Carrie talks about Father Ripperger and his work as an exorcist. Here's an excerpt. Quote, Exorcist Father Chad Ripperger has exercise the demon of Lilith, whom he describes as one of the top five, very strong and difficult to get out. Ironically, for all the adulation given to Lilith by radical feminists, Father Ripperger explains that demons are not female, but only appear as such. 
He adds, demons do not have a gender, but always appear as male, except when they are trying to seduce in some manner. Lilith fits this exception. Father explains, it is a him that acts like a her. He manifests as male, except when trying to convince others that he is a she for some nefarious purpose. There is plenty of irony in feminists worshipping a demon they believe is female, but actually manifests as male. As for Jezebel, Father Ripperger also confirmed that there is a demonic spirit connected to her. Jezebel, Father Ripperger explains, is a spirit which seeks to undermine authority structures through women primarily, though not exclusively, in which murmuring is used to undermine the authority. She attacks right order in governance within families, communities, organizations. Demons in general do not have the capacity to influence the wider culture if people are not first complicit in sin. For these anti-Marian spirits to gain a foothold in the culture, men and women had to open the door through their own sinfulness, stepping outside of the state of grace, which allowed the demonic to enter into a soul in one form or another. Father Ripperger reports, I tend to find that various demons tend to use the disorders of original sin that are proper to women. For example, the desire for self-sufficiency separate from one's husband, the desire to control, the fear of being hurt, etc. Demons make hay out of these matters and have gained great ascendancy in our culture. End quote. This excerpt is from chapter three of the Anti-Mary Exposed. And again, that spotlight was from a few months back at the end of January. Spiritual warfare is something I've seen women shy away from thinking and talking about because they think it's too overwhelming to have to think about one more thing. I want to suggest that that's a mentality that's shooting ourselves in both feet. Because things that can lighten spiritual warfare include having the right weapons, knowing the stakes, being motivated, being convicted. I think that these women who avoid thinking and talking about the spiritual warfare dimension of their vocation are focused on the power of evil. If we focus on the power of God to overcome evil, will it be so easy to overwhelm us when we are rooted in that conviction that Christ has won? One of the ways that we're spiritually attacked as women is being made to feel like the hidden life and the duties that belong to the hidden life, that these tasks are worthless. Unfortunately, that's just boosted by a false humility, which says, who are we to think that we are frontliners in a war? Who am I to suppose that washing dishes matters in the grand scheme of salvation history? I really want to challenge you on that false humility because Archbishop Fulton Sheen says this about our role as women. He says, quote, culture derives from woman for had she not taught her children to talk, the great spiritual values of the world would not have passed from generation to generation. 
After nourishing the substance of the body to which she gave birth, she then nourishes the child with the substance of her mind. As guardian of the values of the spirit, as protectress of the mortality of the young, she preserves culture, which deals with purposes and ends, while man upholds civilization, which deals only with means. End quote. A false humility with regards to our role in fighting this war does not lead to victory. It leads to abdication. I encourage you to procure and have on hand this book, Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Lady by Father Chad Ripperger. And before actually using it to pray, just reading through the entire thing cover to cover. There is on page 104 a list of spirits against matrimonial sacramental unity. And I think it can be very shocking to read and realize just how accepting we are on a regular basis of evil and its influence in our lives. And we can't begin to combat that until we have tried to at least begin to understand what it is that we're up against, exactly what it is that the stakes are. I don't have a good way of ending this episode on a light note. Spiritual warfare is real and it's intense and it can be terrifying. It can be a terrifying thing to consider how important it is that we fight and fight well. But you know, in in the first few episodes of this podcast, I talked about our need for conviction. We need more women who believe firmly that I was made for this. I was made to fight this fight. I was made to fight in Christ's name and by his grace, bring him glory and victory. Allow yourself to be convicted. This is my prayer for all of you this week, that you will allow yourself to be convicted of your part in the great war. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you, and we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast. Mm-hmm.